Psycho Steve presents. and girls and everything in between this is your podcasting pal psycho steve here on hair today gone tomorrow today we are very fortunate and blessed to have one of my favorite bass players i have followed this man's career since the mid 80s but even before that till present day bass player extraordinaire mr john reagan good day sir how are you hey hey steve fantastic uh Thank you for the kind words, and also uh, it's a perfect title because the hair today, gone tomorrow, applies to me right now very, very, uh, very much. <laughs> How is that? You have an awesome head of hair. I'm the one that lost it in the divorce. I don't know about you. <laughs> so, uh, never, never enough. Never enough. Gotcha. Well, they say with me, the less hair I have, the more head I get. I don't know. <laughs> I actually never heard that one. That's great. Thank you. So uh, we're going to start off with the first question is bass. Was it your first instrument? No, actually, uh, I started, my, my dad bought me a six-string acoustic guitar and um, started taking some lessons as a young teenager, but it just didn't, and it wasn't the, the thing for me. I ended up uh, playing tenor saxophone. Wow. Then I switched over to baritone saxophone. Cool. And, uh, which, which is substantially more metal. <laughs> nice. More metal. Uh, but what happened was, I was uh, back then, uh, it was like the mid 60s, the late 60s. Um, my hair was getting a little too long, and my father was not too happy about it. So he said, Go get that haircut now. And it was winter, and I, I, you know, went running down the street to the barber uh, and slipped on ice and broke my leg. And I could not practice baritone sax because I had a full cast on my leg. So my buddy, my high school buddy, Benji Levine, who was a, uh, already a great bass player, uh, said, here, you, I'm going to lend you a bass guitar. So he lent me a bass, and I remember sitting my leg up in a cast, and putting on a Young Rascals album and the Mustang Sally and picking out the notes on a bass guitar. And that was it. I never looked back after that. That's Put a saxophone in a case and that just, it was, it was bass from like 1967 out. Nice. Do you still own the bass or did you have to give it back to him? Uh, actually, I bought it from him. It was a Hagstrom. Wow. Uh, but I wish I still had I wish I still had a lot of the basses that I had back in the day. You know how that works. It's like cars. You kept everything. You, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm, actually, it's just before you uh, before you rang me up there, I was watching the Meekum Auto auctions and looking at all these cars from the '60s that my friends had, and seeing how much money they're worth nowadays. Same with the instruments, but I don't have that guitar anymore. Gotcha. So, speaking of family and everything, was anyone in your family, or still is, musicians besides yourself? No, not really. I I did hear, well, you know, he never spoke about it. I did hear that my dad, um, you know, during around the Second World War, uh, you were, I guess, you were able to go in and make records. He was not signed to a label, but you could go in and make his. Uh, Vanity records. Anybody can make them. I, I heard he was he sang, but I never he never spoke about it. I heard about it from other people. But no one actually played a musical instrument. Huh. I played the radio, which made me fall in love with music. Wow, awesome! All right, now you've played with some rock royalty besides you being rock royalty yourself, from Billy Idol to the Rolling Stones, and you know many, and of course Ace Frehley. Um, you know, has there been anybody you haven't recorded with and that you'd be like, wow, on a bucket list or played out with? Yeah, well, I, I, I always, one of my dear friends um, who I've known since 1979 is Jamie Oldacre. Oh. Jamie Oldacre is one of the best drummers that ever lived. Uh, he was Eric Clapton's drummer during the uh, 461 Ocean Boulevard. Right. Uh, cocaine, all, all those years. And uh, when I joined Peter Frampton's band, Jamie was a drummer. Wow. And we we became best friends and still are to this day. And 
we always basically, I was kind of the man, but I would have loved to play uh, in a rhythm section with you and Eric. And it's, uh, Carl Radel was the bass player on all that iconic music. And he was someone that I studied and uh, just loved the groove that he had, especially with Old Acres. Because Jamie, there's only a couple drummers that play that kind of uh, feel. Right. Uh, and Jamie's one of them. And uh, you, know, you never know. Uh, Eric's still plugging away a little bit, but the times are getting short now. <laughs> Very true. And the ticket prices, oh, you bet. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. So, all right. If you weren't a musician, what kind of work would you be doing? That's a great question. Um, you're welcome. I, I've always liked, um, I'm not a big fan of, 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 of a lot of them, especially the ambulance chasers, but I've always liked digging into detail and trying to come up and get to the bottom of things. So maybe, maybe the law profession, but it would have been more to help uh, people in need, you know, that, that didn't have help, you know, probably a legal aid lawyer or something like that. Awesome. Okay. And then you brought up cars and everything about you were watching the auction and everything. Speaking of cars, what kind of car do you drive? I drive uh, a Mercedes-Benz SL500 convertible and the weather is uh, the right weather for it. And, uh, and then I've got just a little Mercedes uh, C-Class for everyday one-around stuff. Awesome. And, uh, I like the German cars. I, I, like, I like the quality of the build and the, I just like the way they feel when you're driving them. Is safe. Totally got it. So, what's in your CD player currently? Oh uh, boy, I'll tell you what. Um, mostly, yeah. and this has been ever since I was a child. I kind of stopped listening to rock and roll in the mid 70s. Mm. But I've always listened to Sinatra, Tony Bennett, the big bands, uh, that kind of music. So, pretty much seriously Sinatra on, uh, when I'm in the car on uh, serious radio. Awesome. I, I, I love that. I love the orchestrations and just the musicianship and the feeling that went into making those records that are timeless, obviously, because they're still being played. Absolutely. I was very fortunate. I got to see Frank on his 75th birthday. So. Did you really? Yes, sir. Oh, my God. Where? Uh, the Meadowlands. Oh, my God. That, see, now, that, that's cool. I saw him two times, but it was more towards the end. Right. A couple times at Radio City Music Hall, but it was still just the, the, the man. All he had to do was walk out on stage, and it just, the whole room was electrified. Yeah, I took my 100-year-old grandmother. She's still with us. She wasn't 100 then, but she's 100 years old now. Yeah. So I took her. Bless her, really? Yeah. Wow. I took her, my parents, and we actually sat with, believe it or not, Diana Ross was there, Liza Minnelli yeah. was there, and Gene Simmons, because he was dating Diana at the time, and he also wow. used to manage Liza. So we all sat, like, basically next to each other. And it, oh, it, my God. Yeah. And I was just like, and my grandmother's like, are you sure you want to go to this? I'm like, it's Frank Sinatra. I'm like, yeah. you know, and I'm just like, and she's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, my mother used to drag me to Engelbert Humperdinck concerts. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, and I remember one time she took me to an Engelbert. He was playing the PNC Art Center, and he actually had his daughter perform with her, uh, with him. And uh, he, I was the youngest guy there. I think this concert was sponsored by like AARP or something or NBA <laughs> or something. Yeah, right. You know. And I go to the show, and I'm sitting like third row center because I always get my parents really good seats because my mom would leave my father for Engelbert Humperdinck. So, and he's like, I'm going to bring out my daughter, Miss Lauren Dorsey. And everybody stops clapping, and I'm like, wow, she's fucking hot. And she heard yeah. me, and my dad is like, you're right. And she heard me say that, and she's like, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cool. So, but yeah. I, now, let me ask you: Was your was your grandmother a, a Bobby Soxer? Was she back in the day? Was she uh, did she follow Sinatra? And she, uh, yeah, but she was a professional singer herself. So she was a, okay. Yeah, she sang in the '30s and '40s. She sang with like Don Ho. Uh, performed with Bob Hope in the Catskills Mountains back in the day. Wow. Yeah. 
it was spoken in the house all day long. However, uh, usually when they started speaking it is when they didn't want you to understand that they were talking about you and what they were talking about. And I, I regret not learning it, but right. we were expected to be American, you know. We were expected to uh, be Americans, American Italians. They were, you know, my ancestors were Italian Americans, but they wanted us to be American Italians. Gotcha. But now, here's the question. Speaking of Italian, I have to ask, because I ask all my friends and everybody that I have interviewed for Italian people, I need to know, what do you call the sauce? Sauce. Okay. Don't even go there. It's like gravy. Okay. Don't make me come over, don't make me come over there and smack you and say it's gravy. Okay, no, because some people said it's ragu. I'm like, no, that's stuff in the bottle. You know? That, you know, ragu is, is a sauce with meat in it. Oh, okay. But, uh, but sauce is tomatoes. Okay. Uh, and gravy goes on turkey. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always, it's always a friendly argument. We, we used to do, you know, get into that on occasion on Cafe Italia. And, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, you're right, man. That, that's a hot, hot topic. I'm Italian. <laughs> okay. Now, is your wife Italian? No. No. Okay. She's, so, uh, I think when we... We thought she was Czechoslovakian and German, but then we both did the uh, that ancestry. Uh, yeah, the twenty three and me. DNA. Yeah. Yeah. So now, uh, now I'm sure I can be arrested for a multitude of things after I've got my DNA. But uh, <laughs> uh, she's, uh, she's ended up, I think, uh, being more Irish and Scottish. Uh, okay. So then the question I should have the answer to this: You're a better cook than she is, then. No, not a oh, she's huh? a great Italian cook. She huh? is a cheese. I don't know why, but uh, she's a great cook, period. But um, she makes a mean meatball. Right on. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, let me see. All right. So you're now in a band called 4 by Fate, which is a collective right. of members of your former band, Freely's Comet, former drummer of Skid Row, and, of course... Um, Pat Gasparini, who's been doing multiple projects as well. Yeah, Gasparini. Um, Gasparini, right, sorry, right. Gasparini. Yeah, Gasparini and Rob Fuso. Right. And, and so we got three Italians and, and one we let in. <laughs> nice. The question is, and everything, and you're also in the Patrick James band. Yeah, which is Pat, Patrick, Patrick James Gasparini. It's a, right. So it's, a, it's a, a separate project that's just wonderful. Awesome. So how did these projects come about? Like, I know you've been friends with Todd forever because uh, you were in a band together for several years. Um, and then how did like? You know, Pat get involved, how did Rob get involved? Well, you know, as you said, I met Todd, uh, and then, uh, obviously he was with us in Fraley's Comma for a couple of years, but the way I met Todd was I was playing John Wayne's band. Okay. Uh, of Missing You fame. I, I was in John's band for a couple of years. Right. And we, we did a tour, uh, I want to say that was probably the summer of 85, maybe. Uh, we did a co-headline tour with Cheap Trick. And awesome. Todd was the off-stage keyboard player, a singer for Cheap Trick, because I'd, I'd be looking around going, where's this other great voice coming from? And they, they had him just to the side of the stage, and it was Todd. So we became friends, and I, you know, then I uh, realized he played guitar, too. And I said, man, if I, this guy's a triple threat. He plays keys, sings his ass off, and great guitar player. And i got to write this guy's number down if I ever need, you know, somebody to fill that, you know, big, big uh, shoes. And uh, but it turned out, we need, uh, when we finally got into record with Fraley's Comet, we needed another uh, singer, guitar player, and keyboard player. And I said, man, have I got the guy. So that's how Todd and I uh, came to know each other. So we've been, we've been friends for, you know, 30 plus years. Awesome. And then um, what happened was Pat Gasparini, I had known, we, we live in the same area up, uh, just north of Manhattan here, and right. in the Hudson Valley, and I always knew of him. Uh, Pat, you know, substantially younger than I am, but he had a band called Pound in the 90s that was in making a lot of good noise in the industry. Right. And they were, you know, they were getting ready to break big, and then Grunge came in, and that kind of put a kibosh on that. You know, that whole thing. But um, I didn't know him, and what happened was, I want to say about five years ago, four or five years ago, we just finally connected 
because uh, he asked if I wanted to play bass on a song he wrote, which was a song, um, oh God, it was a long night last night, so my, my brain is a little slow. A song called Follow Me. Okay. And I, I, love, I love the song, and it just happened to be at the same time where Todd and I were talking about doing a project, which eventually turns into what now is Four by Fate. Right. I said, man, I, I got this song I just played on. Dude, I want to consider cutting this for our record. And I played it to Todd, and he loved it. And that was how we came to know Pat. Cool. As a writer and as a musician, as a friend. Nice. But then, uh, as things progressed, and we needed a guitar player, and I, and I, I said, man, Pat, he's right here, and he sings great, plays great, writes great. That's how we got him in the band. And then we also needed a drummer at one point. And Pat recommended Rob a few songs for Skid Row, and I had known Rob from back in that day. Right. And we always talked about, you know, doing uh, working together. And that's kind of how that uh, version of 4 by 3 came to be. Prior to that, we started with another guitar player and uh, another drummer. And it just for a myriad of reasons, it didn't work out, so... Gotcha. Uh, we ended up with uh, the band the way it is right now, which is Pat, Todd, Rob, and myself. Awesome. Did you come up with the name? No. Um, the guy that was kind of looking at helping get us some work uh, came up with it. Cool. And, uh, he said, yeah, well, kind of fate put this band together, so it seems like it works good enough. Awesome. All right. All right. So I also know you do a lot of charity work. For who? Well, the main, uh, actually I call it my favorite weekend of the year. I've been, I've been blessed with been involved for a few years now. It's a, a charity called Arizona Children's Charities. And uh, it's basically, it's based out of South Carolina. And it, it, it uh, really takes care of, you know, abused and neglected children. Uh, and every year, and it was just the 20th anniversary of the founding of that charity, but every year they do, um, for lack of a better term, an all-star band concert. And I was brought into that by another another paisan, uh, Jeff Carlisi from 38 Special. Right. He's kind of like, the, he's a musical, he's the MD, and he's the one that puts the bands together. And what it is every year, it's a revolving door of different artists. But the core band uh, right now is Jeff Carlisi on guitar, uh, Danny Serafin of Chicago on drums. Wow. Liberty DeVito of Billy Joel on drums. So we have two drummers. And uh, Rob Arthur, who's a keyboard player, I work with, with Peter Frappin for many years, and he still tours with Frappin. But uh, that's kind of the core band. And then other different guitar players and uh, then different singers. This year was Steve Rogeri from Journey. Yeah. And tall stories. Um, Don't forget that. Yes, right. Exactly. And um, Taiketo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And we had Jim Pederick, who uh, wrote uh, Vehicle back in the day. Wow. Also, was a former Survivor. So, I had the Tiger and all those great Survivor songs. Uh, Wally Palmer from The Romantics, he was there. Peter Stroud, I was playing guitar with us from uh, Cheryl Crow's band and a lot of other bands. Uh, Rusty Milner from uh, Marshall Tucker. Holy band. shit. It's an amazing night of music, and obviously we all play each other's um, songs. It, it, it's, you know, if you think of the Ringo Star all-star band. It's kind of like that, but it ramped up a little farther, you know, full horn section. Uh, and uh, Jeff Adams is a great bass player with Starship. Is, is our, he, he's an incredible singer and frontman, so right. he's kind of going to let me play bass while he gets up and, and handles all of the vocals of the songs that we do that don't have the, you know, the original singer stuff. So. Wow, so you gotta let me know when this is coming around because I'm well, sorry. It's usually the first or second uh, weekend in October. Okay. In the wonderful city of Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, next year, um, you know, we'll keep in touch. And, and uh, I'll always have it on Facebook. We usually, you know, start talking about it at least a month before. But it's a, an incredible concert. You know, two and a half hours of music. Um, yeah, I used to a great drink, and it's all for Arizona children's charities. It's all for the children. That's and awesome. Really, and the money really goes all to the children. That's it's awesome. fantastic. That is fantastic. Yeah, because yeah, I used to live in Charleston, so. so oh, okay, you're yeah. familiar with that area. Yeah, and Greenville and stuff like that. 
So that's that's down, man. absolutely. Get some shrimp and grits, which I never had until I did this. Uh, you know, let me do it. Then there's like a charity uh, golf match the next day. Uh, the concert's always on a Sunday, and then the golf match is on a Monday. But uh, well, let me tell you, today there's some serious good Southern food down there that I didn't know existed. <laughs> absolutely. I'm a foodie. That was my favorite part of being on the road for decades. Was that you know getting out of my little village that I grew up in and discovering the world and 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 a, and a different kind of food. And I never had barbecue. They were talking about my buddy Jamie Oldacre. Right. He's from Tulsa. And when I joined Frappenstein, he goes, "You ever had barbecue?" And to me, growing up, you know, in the '60s in, in, in upstate New York, barbecue was my father making hot dogs and hamburgers. Yeah. Uh, I never had it, and we're, we're down at Tulsa. He goes, we're going to go to the other side of the tracks and get barbecue. I said, we're going to the other side of the tracks. That's just a, a song lyric. Uh, it wasn't, though. The right. tracks in Tulsa se- separated the, you know, the two communities, the African-American community and the white community. But here, he, he and I had two long-haired rock musicians <laughs> go into this little place, and we sat down, and there were no dishes. All it was was... They took down some wax paper and you ordered the food and I thought I died and went to heaven. Right. And barbecue from that point on became a passion for me. Awesome. So I guess we have to put that on your next rider, huh? <laughs> oh, man, we used to have some serious barbecue. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, if, if you like, you know, that, that deep southern barbecue. But, uh, there's a, a, uh, an event called Memphis in May every year. Yes. Down on the river. And it is basically four stages of the best music. Everybody, every genre of music, but then it's an international barbecue competition. And man, when I was playing that one, you, you, while you're playing, you're smelling all this barbecue. You can't wait to get off stage and run to those couple of those stands and fill up. Nice. <laughs> now you're getting me hungry. Thanks. Yeah, well, you, you started it. <laughs> Okay, so now when you're not playing out and you're not recording, do you still play every day? No, I don't. And I, I, I really, I, I have to admit to being a bit uh, lazy on that. When I first took the bass up, I literally slept with it. Uh-huh. Uh, but no, I don't. But, but what I do is I listen intently, right? Um, which is a blessing and a curse. Uh, it's good, you know, to help with my production skills. Uh, uh, but like when I'm listening to a song, obviously predominant is the bass line, right? You know, and no, no matter what it is, uh, no matter what kind of music it is. So I'm just trying to take everything in, and, and that's what I whenever I. Talk to younger musicians. I, I think, you know, don't be a metal musician. Don't be a jazz musician. Don't be a rock. Be a musician. Listen to everything. It's all validity. It all, it's all valid. And, uh, you know, you can be playing the heaviest of rock, right? I mean, think of Zeppelin. And, uh, it still swings. And that relates all the way back to the jazz stuff. Yeah? Right. Uh, perfect example is Charlie Watts who stones. He's a jazz drummer. Oh, of course. Uh, you can see it in his playing, too. You can, yeah, you can see this play, and a lot of those bands that we listen to that are the classic bands, that's what they grew up listening to. Right. Not, they weren't listening to rock bands. Yeah, they were listening to, uh, to big band music and all of that, and, and that ended up being part of their style, and I always encourage everybody to listen to every style of music. And the Patrick James Project is, I want to say, more country than rock, but it rocks really hard. But it's heavy on uh, Pat's writing is mel- you know, heavy melody driven writing, and uh, you know some pretty intense guitar playing too. Pat's an amazing guitar player. Awesome. Uh, I'm, I really that's one thing I really really enjoy about that project is uh, the mu- it's so musical that I can get emotionally invested, you know, musically and lyrically in the songs, and that's always that was the best part of playing in Frampton's band for three decades. You got to play everything from humble pie to Baby on Every Way, the Science Field Delivered. It was a night of varying styles of music. And that really keeps my interest up and, and makes it, I agree, you know, I, when it's a band like that, I can't wait to get on stage and play. Speaking of Peter, do you still talk to him? Yeah, on occasion we speak, he's still out touring. Right. Uh, you know, we, we worked together for the better part of 31 years. So right. It was, much diff- it was much more than an employer-employee relationship. Awesome. But he's out there, he's out there plugging away, uh, 
because he is a consummate professional and his playing, you know, again, we talk about, listen to everything. His inspiration when he was just picking up the guitar was Django Reinhardt, which is, you know, jazz. Right. And you listen, you listen to his approach and his melodic sense and his scales, they're all jazz-based. It just happened to be through an electric guitar. Right. Wow. But he's doing good. He's out. Like I said, he's, I think he's got working on a, a blues album now from what I hear. Right. He just came out with an acoustic album a couple of years ago. I know that with his son, I think yeah. it was, right? Well, his son would, um, would go out and open for him and Gordon Kennedy. Right. was a good friend, amazing writer. Gordon is out of Nashville. He, he's one of the writers on Clapton's Change the World. Right. Um, and Gordon and Peter write constantly. And I, the two of them went out and did a really nice evening of acoustic music that I was fortunate enough to see uh, when they were in this area. Awesome. Yeah. So how many pieces do you own? Uh, according to my wife, too many. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't know, about 15 or so. Okay. We tried to whittle it down. Gotcha. You know, you can only, you can only play one at a time. That's the argument. <laughs> True. Well, I know you've always been a Spectre kind of guy, because back in the... Yeah, well, yeah, from 1985, uh, I, 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 I was always a fan of Precision Guy, right. until I discovered the Spectre. Right. And then, um, that was around the Fraley's Comedy era, and John Waite, and Anton Fig and I were in Scandal for a while, that band. Right. And that was the Spectre era. But then I ended up, um, in 1990, getting asked to tour with Steve Sills. And like a blues band mm-hmm. and he was in California I was in New York so I fly back and forth a lot and I didn't want to fly with the bass singers I just use you know I got, I got a couple of nice basses well that boy has kept every guitar he's ever owned and he has two 62 Fender Precisions and once I put that one of those on I came back and dusted out my 65 and I kind of never looked back one of my, my favorite instrument. Okay. Do you have a name for it? No, no. Okay. Because, you know, like, you know, B.B. King named his instrument. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, no. a lot of musicians name their instruments and whatever, so. Figured. I got too many. I wouldn't be able to remember them. Gotcha. <laughs> I'd have to be like Ace. I'd call them all Curly. Hey, Curly. <laughs> Everybody's Curly. <laughs> I remember Ace called me that when I was six years old, and I was just like, what? My name's Steve. Yeah. He's like, no, you're my Curly. Yeah, Curly. That's because he couldn't remember anybody's name. Exactly. Or he called me Bub for some reason. I don't know. Bubby. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Yeah, Bubby. Yeah, this is going back. The first time I met him was July 25th, 1980, with Eric Carr's first performance at the Palladium. Ace gave me this. Oh, man. Yeah, Ace wow. gave me this Felix the Cat doll, like the whole. He's like, hey, he's like, hey, Curly. I'm like, uh, my name's Steve. He's like, hey, Bubby, hold it for a minute, and he gave it to me. I'm like, okay, and I'm like, Dad, Ace really just gave me this. He's like. Hold on to it. It might be worth something one day. So yeah. yeah so years later, he's playing the Birchill nightclub in uh, Old Bridge, New Jersey, and I. Br- it was him and Peter were performing together, uh, and I brought it to him, and he's just like, he's like, that's cool. Where'd you get it? I'm like, you gave it to me. <laughs> oh, that, that's great. He's like, really? I'm like, yes. Yeah. He's like, okay, I believe you. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that kind of reminds me of a story I heard about Sinatra. He was out on night in the town, you know, I don't know if it was with Tony Danzer or somebody relayed this story. Uh, you know, he was a, a few Jack Daniels through many, and uh, the valet, you know, he, he gets the valet to bring his car around. And, yeah, he was partying a lot in those days, and he, he gives the valet a $100 tip. And, uh, he said to the guy, the valet, and when's the last time anybody gave you a hundred dollar tip for bringing a car? And you go, last night, and you did, Mister Sinatra. He didn't even remember he gave a hundred bucks the night before. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, cool stuff, okay, man. Absolutely. So, so you got to see Eric's first game, man. What, a, what an amazing! I mean, we know that his, that his playing goes without saying of how incredible a musician he was, but also one of the sweetest human beings that ever walked the face of this earth. 100% agree with you. I saw his first performance, and I saw his last performance. Wow. Yeah. Wow. They, coincidentally, they were both in New York, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because his first performance, like I said, was at the Palladium. His last performance was at Madison Square Garden, November 9th, 1980. 
1990, sorry. They opened up Carol's Kiss, Winger, and Slaughter. Uh, yeah. Are you a New Jersey native and just happen to end up in South Carolina or vice versa? Uh, um, don't hold it against me. I am a New Jersey native. My ex-wife, uh, my, um, my ex-wife had her mom and her sister live down in um, South Carolina. We had our oldest son up here. Then we moved to South Carolina. And then we had our youngest son down there. Then she went knocking fucks. And then we split up. <laughs> and yeah. So. Yeah, they can do that, I guess. Yeah. Well, you're lucky. You got one of the very few that are still. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed beyond uh, my wildest dreams. So. Oh, I see. You basically just hung out down there for a bit. Yeah, about three and a half years I was down there. So I, I babbled on the radio down there. And I also worked for a big auto group down there. So, because I'm, I'm a bit of a car enthusiast, and yeah. so, yeah. But you, you couldn't get good pizza down there, I'm telling you. Oh, that's, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I talked to them about that. And I found really good Italian food. Maybe not to your standards, because you're like, you know, a pro. This this good stuff, but it's just, it's, you know, they say it's the water for the dough. I don't it, know if that's true or yeah, not. Yeah, I have an older brother that's a chef. He went to culinary school and he tells me it's the water I'm telling you and then I found a really great pizza restaurant in central New Jersey but they pipe in the water from Brooklyn because you know New York yeah. has, New York has like Did he go to the culinary institute in Hyde Park is that what I, actually he went to Johnson and Wales so oh, okay. in Rhode Island yeah. So. yeah me I went to Yukon and like I said I was going to be a pyrotechnician first because I wanted to do like the pyro for KISS or something like that. And then um, I couldn't pass a couple courses. So I was DJing in a couple clubs in New York City and New Jersey. And then Gene said to me, and he's like, well, Steve, you know, you have the perfect face for a radio. Why don't you look into the, the radio gig? And I'm like, you know what, Dad? That's a great idea. So I said, yeah. and I got my degree. And then I went to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. And here we are now. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, all right. You spoke about golf. Is that one of your hobbies? It is. And I got into that. Um, we're touring with Ace. Okay. Uh, and we, we're on tour with Alice Cooper. I knew it. I was thinking about to ask you that. <laughs> yeah. And with it was, I'm going to say, top of my head, 88, maybe. Right. 88, 88, mm-hmm. right. And we were, uh, I try to keep it normal schedule on the road. I never, it's very easy to get into, stay up till five in the morning and sleep till three, but I tried to just stay, you know, get up, go down and, you know, the restaurant, hotel, have breakfast, whatever, but I'd be up at like eight o'clock in the morning and every morning I'd see Alice dressed in these weird clothes, you know, golf attires, which I only knew him from Alice Cooper on stage. Yeah. Right. Like, where does he go every day? He's going to play golf. So, um, and across the street from my house here, uh, elderly gentleman at the time used to use his backyard as like a, a little chipping area, practice golf swing. And he always wanted to get me in his I want to play that game. And then seeing that Alice did it, I figured, well, wait a minute, this might be a cool thing if he's doing it. And I came home and uh, went across the street and said, hey, you want to show me how to hold a golf club? And, and that was it. I never turned back. It was great. It is a great way to normalize your life when you're on tour. Right. You, know, you get out of that golf course and, you know, you just, literally, you hear people say it, but you don't think about anything else. Just out there with nature, enjoying it. Hopefully you get a good shot. It's great. And uh, my son ended up taking it up and we used to golf together. And those are some of the best memories I had in life are golfing with my son. Awesome. What you, what do you shoot? My, I wasn't that good. In my best, I was probably about a 10. Okay. A handicap. But my son uh, ended up playing in high school and during his college years. And he was down almost a trash golfer. He was serious. Wow. And he still is. And he still hit the ball like, you know, 300 plus yards like you see these guys on TV do. Damn. Uh, awesome. I, I, it, takes me, it takes me like three shots to get that far. <laughs> right. I'm good at pitch and putt, if that helps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, still love, I just love being out on a golf course. It's a, it's a beautiful way to spend a, a day. Right. I remember for my... Um, was my bachelor party, a bunch of my guy friends are like, oh, we could go golfing. I'm like, sure. And we bought a bunch of beer and a bunch of other various alcohol. 
everything. I'm like, you know what? I'm not really a golfer, but I'll drive the cart. And we got in trouble because I was drinking while driving the golf cart. So it was cool. In Myrtle, in Myrtle Beach. Everybody does that. Of course. Everybody does that. Why would you get in trouble? <laughs> I mean, they have, they have cart girls come around rolling bars. What questions? Why did you get in trouble? Exactly. You know? They said, they're like, you know, you know how much these golf carts cost? And I'm like, it's my bachelor party. And I'm in Myrtle Beach. And I'm getting married soon. So go easy on me because she never will. Uh, you know? were right, were you? <laughs> so, yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> so... and then I'll let you head out. So, when you hear your song on the radio, do you turn it up or do you turn it off? Oh, I, 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 that's, that's something for me, I'm only speaking for myself, I don't know how other musicians feel, but that's a dream come true. Right. You, when, you start, when you started playing music, you never, you never really thought that you were going to be on the radio someday. Right. But when, when that happens, it, to me it's a gift. It's like, wow, I, I can't believe this is the life that I got to to, to live. Uh, so, I may not turn it up, but I, I'm definitely uh, this big smile on my face and in my heart. That's for darn sure. Awesome. Now, you mentioned your son and everything like that. Growing up, because, you know, my dad didn't have a job being a rock star. He was a rock star teacher and everything, and he owned his own business. But, you know, for a, a son's perspective, or even a, just a in general question, a child's perspective, you know, did your kids think you were cool? Probably not. Uh, and, and, you know, honestly, and I always say this, when I hear the term, you know, applied to me, which rock side, I worked for rock stars. <laughs> That's the way I always look at it. I never lived my life uh, in any way, shape, or form, you know, that type of lifestyle. Um, I just always felt I was fortunate to, get, to be able to get paid and put a roof over my family's head playing music. Uh, so subsequently, I never made, I don't, still don't, I never made a big deal about it. It was my job. And probably, and I never really discussed this with them, but it was probably not so great for them because I was away a lot. Um, there were there were times uh, I remember with Frampton. There was one tour we were gone for seven months. I didn't come home for seven months. Wow! Yeah, so to them, it must have been like having you know their, their father in the military. Which I, I just want to add this with a big underlining: those are the rock stars in this world. True, I hundred percent agree. Uh, you know, any man and woman that was serves our country, policemen, right. uh, firemen, those are the people, uh, you know, those of us that get to do things in the public eye are celebrities. We're not, you know, when I hear people you know, talk about a sports guy or a, or a musician, now he's a hero, he's not a hero, he's a celebrity. Right. The heroes are, are out there trying to find a cure for cancer or, you know, running into a burning building to save a life or, you know, being on the front lines of a war. So that, that's a real big thing for me. Uh, those are the true heroes of my life. I 100% agree with you. So, all right. So besides your bandmates and everything, do you have any, like, musician friends that you can, like, call and say, hey, I'm in your town? Like, for example, I know you play... Oh, like you played with Sandy, you played with Sandy Gennaro, which I've had as a guest on my show. I had. Uh, Sandy's great. What, yeah. a, what a wonderful spirit! I've known Sandy for decades. Right, and then you also played. You know, and I've also just recently interviewed Bruce Kulick. Um, yeah, another, another great guy. We're gonna see him um, Tuesday at this. Uh,
guys our age, uh, you know, that are so fortunate enough to be able to continue to do that. You know, the, the, the ranks are thinning. <laughs> you know, or you really got friendships where you treasure. And, you know, you all kind of speak that same second language, and then you, you can commiserate and you understand what you go through to be a musician. I, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything for myself, but I, but I also, on the other hand, wouldn't, I didn't, I didn't want my children to follow in those footsteps. You know, and people used to always say, oh, your kids become musicians, and I, I, my, and this is my honest belief in what I would say, I said, no, and that's proof that God answers prayers. Uh, it, it, it's not for the faint of heart, especially nowadays, it's getting harder and harder right. to be a musician. Cool. You know, getting, to get paid for being a musician. I, I made more money playing a club band in 1975, right before I got the gig with Frampton in 79, but I, you know, I had a pretty good club band, which ended up, by the way, you're, you're a Jersey guy, um, the club band that I had ended up becoming a band called Frankie and the Knockouts, and I don't know if you know Frankie Prevett, but he's, a, I think, a West Orange, New Jersey guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, he also was a co-writer in that song, I Had the Time of My Life for Dirty Dancing, so yes. Frankie worked hard and, and did well for himself, but he and I go back to a band called Paul Angus that I was in with him in 1972. Awesome. Frankie's a, Frank a dear friend. I think they saw uh, them with the good rats. It's possible. It's huh. possible. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I put the band together. It was basically the club band that I had, which was called Easy Street. And Frankie came up for me. He wanted to do some demos. I said, well, I got a great band, so why don't you come up with your guitar player? And we rehearsed it in uh, the, the bowling alley club that we were playing in. Went in and did the, uh, the demos for Frankie and the Knockouts. Um, he got a record deal. I event... I, uh, at the same time, you got my gig with Frampton, and I chose to go that route. But Frankie and I have been in touch ever since, and he's one of the musicians that I, I really, really have always held in the highest regard for his talent and his work, work ethic. Good boy. Awesome. Have you ever talked to him? Tell him I said hello. Absolutely. And you know, it's interesting. He, he used to work, he never stopped, he never stopped. And after Frankie and Knockout said it, you know, he was scraping around again trying to figure out what the next thing was. And I remember him calling me up because he was looking for a publishing deal. Right. You know, he used to bring some money in. And nobody would touch those songs. And those songs ended up, you know, if you would assign Frankie to a publishing deal, you would have ended up with a quarter of everything that was on that Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Wow. Uh, he didn't get a publisher to sign it, so he kept it all, and good for him. <laughs> oh, wow. So, that's pretty cool. Yeah. All right, and so... We're all connected, I tell you, it, it, it's, it's, it's a small world. True. Musically. Absolutely. So, okay, so what is next for your two bands that you're currently in, meaning Patrick James band, and of course, 4 by And Continue working on the Patrick James record. Uh, it's almost completely finished, and the hope is to get that out uh, in the springtime and to do some shows with the band that we had down in, uh, in Nashville, which is Sandy Gennaro and uh, some other amazing players from down there. Right. Uh, so that, that, that's next up, and of course, I know Todd's working on some solo music. Rob has got... Uh, it's this big band called Soul System Orchestra that, that basically started doing it when he uh, left Skid Row. Right. And it's uh, an incredible, uh, they, did, they do big, big corporate work. You know, they make a lot more money than we do with 4 by 8 let me put it that way. Wow. Oh yeah, a lot more. They're, they're a five-figure band. We're lucky if we can get a couple thousand. Wow. Yeah, but we're, uh, we're, we're plugging away, and I'm sure there'll be more music before by faith, but um, we're just, everybody's uh, enjoying still, you know, being able to, to do what we love, and, you know, for that, there's only one uh, group to thank, and I, I like to call them friends, I don't like the word fans, yeah. because they're our friends, and they, if it wasn't truly, if it was not for people that support us by coming to shows and, and buying music for forever, we wouldn't have the, the luxury of doing what we do for a living. We'd be, we'd be working regular jobs, just like a lot of us did when we were trying to break in. But uh, really, we owe it all to our friends and our supporters. That, that, that's the bottom line. Without them, we don't get to do what we like. 
I was in our bedroom and in our living room. I hear you. All right. Well, I just want to say thank you on the bottom of my heart from myself and as you call them and as I call them friends I'm eternally grateful for all the music that you've done from 30 years ago to present day and we can't wait to hear more music from you um, and then hopefully uh, if I don't have to work I am definitely going to you know come out now are you a drinker? Okay, because last time you guys put up the chance with the four by feet, Ace's band, and everything. Uh, Todd, yeah. Were you there? Yeah. So ah, yeah, and okay. uh, Todd asked me to bring him a bottle of vodka. So I was going to say, did you want me to bring you That's a bottle? All right. <laughs> nah, nah, bring me a cannoli. Okay. Your favorite Italian bakery. Now you get me excited. Uh, there you go. I was going to say uh, from um, was it Gennaro's? Is that the name of it? Anywhere, anywhere you want to bring. You find me an Italian bakery in there. Or bring me a Hamantaschen. There you go. Uh, <laughs> that's, that, that's right up on the list. There used to be a place on 52nd and 8th, at Diudos, I think it was called, right around the corner from SIR where we rehearsed all the time. Right. The Hamantaschen were to die for. Right on. I've never had one as good since. <laughs> okay. I can bring water, but I'll definitely talk to my girlfriend about that, so... Steve, honestly, again, from, and from the bottom of my heart, this was an absolute pleasure and joy. Cool. Uh, just uh, speaking with you for the, you know, the last few uh, minutes here, right. uh, you're, you're an old soul, and it's the best compliment I can give anybody. Well, well thank I you. To, I look forward to seeing you, and we'll definitely get together at some point. Absolutely. So, grazie. Cool. <laughs> yeah, prego, prego. <laughs> I remember that, Steve. I'll talk to you soon. Uh, ciao, ciao. I'll talk to you later. You got Steve. it. Stay care. Thanks, man. Later. Psycho Steve presents. You can hear more from Psycho Steve on Heritage on Tomorrow every Wednesday on iTunes and SoundCloud. The interview sessions are also on YouTube. Get your merch at Zazzle.com backslash Psycho Steve presents Hair Today Gone Tomorrow. Follow Psycho Steve on all social media platforms. Facebook at Psycho Steve Rocks. Instagram at the underscore real underscore psycho underscore Steve. Twitter at Real Psycho Steve. For requests or dedications or if you're in a band and want us to play your music or be interviewed or for advertising inquiries, email us at PsychoStevePresents at gmail.com. Psycho Steve Presents Hair Today Gone Tomorrow is brought to you by Pearlswag Enterprises, LLC. Please join Psycho Steve every Wednesday and Friday here on...